Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Walker here, and I am on with Sarah Buino with Conversations of a Wounded Healer. That's a new podcast on our network. And um, I just did a great show with her that will air after this that you all are going to just crack up over. But first, Sarah, welcome and tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Hey, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. So I am a psychotherapist and I have a practice in Chicago called Head Heart Therapy. I also am a certified Daring Way facilitator, which is Brene Brown's Shame Resilience Curriculum. So I utilize that in my work quite a bit. I also teach at a couple universities for social work programs at Loyola University in Chicago and Fordham University Online. And I sing in a band on the weekends. And you have the most awesome mohawk that's blue ever. Yay! It's Well, it's blue right now. Who knows? <laughs> By the time you tomorrow? air this, what color it'll be. I just wake <laughs> up and it's a different color. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so when we did a show last week with Roxanne, which listeners, I can't wait for you to hear it and you'll find out who that is. Now let's leave it at dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that we were talking about was how we, um, when you are a little edgy or you're, uh, you know, you have a blue mohawk that can change colors, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, you can feel a little isolated or sort of the odd person out at, at some things. And one thing I noticed about that is people tend to make a judgment that your quote unquote coolness or yes, not in the norm <laughs> means that you're also edgy, snarky, sarcastic. And that is in no way how you are, how Roxanne is like everything that we talked about always had this positive twist, even calling me out on some shaming stuff I would, or limiting stuff I was saying about myself was not even done like how p- people typically mm. call people out. It was, it was like this, er, let's, let's wrap it in positivity and, mm-hmm. and wonderful, not positivity, woo-woos. Right. But reframing. Rainbows, but yeah, reframing mm-hmm. of this, of that was so lovely. And that is not typically how people look at, you know, us outliers. <laughs> Yeah, right. I can't say fuck and also be supportive at the same time. It has to be one or the other, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. means you're too 
cool for school. You're, you're edgy Mm -hmm. and you're also going to be loaded with snark and it doesn't have to mean that. So how have you sort of walked that path with what you do, especially in the world of counseling, which can be so have, have its own hierarchy of, uh, of what professionalism looks like? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I I guess I like to consider myself full of snark and dark humor, but I think it's really kind of the underlying motivation is what colors colors it, right? So, and earlier in my life, the snark was filled with insecurity and, you know, shame and all sorts of things that that it wouldn't it wouldn't land back then like it does today because i've done a shit ton of work on myself over the past 10 years but really i mean i i always give brené brown credit for i guess helping me recognize that i could be the type of therapist that i wanted to be i didn't i didn't have to wear birkenstocks and broomstick skirts and practice cbt i could i could you know utilize crystals and tarot and astrology and you know uh, in addition to evidence-based practices and really be the full version of myself. And truthfully though, it wasn't until I opened my own practice when I did the Mohawk and I got the tattoo sleeve. I have, I have a ton of tattoos and I've, I've gotten more since I opened the practice, but you know, I had to, I had to kind of play the game uh, before I, I got my own practice and was my own boss. And, and now that ten, I didn't even, I didn't even think of it as, as being a brand, but now it, it is kind of my brand. And I'm, yeah. I tell my hairdresser, I can't ever go back to blonde because what people wouldn't recognize me, they wouldn't know what to do with me. <laughs> I know. And I waffle back and forth because of this woman that I work with, Martha Drucknowski, who's on the show many times and is a shaman, but would never call herself mm-hmm. that. Um, she's always like, how did you end up with Mary Poppins as your mother? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have that pull of, oh, I better pull back and not be how I really am. And let me reiterate too, when I say snark, snark in, in and of itself is not mean. Right. It's just sarcastic. I, I guess I should have better said it by saying mean snark. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Snark's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I don't know if you saw my Instagram today, but I posted something about, you know, trauma, but I think it's funny at the same time. And, you know, we have to be able to laugh about these things because if, if we were just doom and gloom all the time and really, you know, just tuned into the, the sad and the negative parts of it, we wouldn't survive. Oh my gosh, absolutely not. So how do you, um, when you opened up your own practice, how did you go about feeling your way through where you fit into the whole psychotherapy counseling world? Hmm. So I think, I mean, uh, I'm an Aquarius and so I always like to be different. (laughs) (laughs) So it really was less about fitting in and just putting myself out there and calling my weirdos to me. You know, that's, I always like to, to think of the, the people who are attracted to head heart therapy are a little bit outside of what we would think are quote unquote normal. You know, we have a lot of LGBTQ folks who, who come to our practice, people who struggle with addiction. That's our main population. And I resonate, I think with, with people who struggle with addiction because of that, you know, they can't just be like everybody else. That's, that's part of the the thing that drives people to addiction is, is feeling like they're on the outside. And, and I really welcome that instead of, 
saying that it, oh, we're, we're different. And so we're, there's something wrong with us. It's like, no, we're different. We fucking rock. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. I, I wanted to ask it in that way. I knew the, the term fitting in would be like, no. Well, yeah. We fuck you. Fit in by not fitting in. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, that's yeah. one of the things I've been really tapping into in, in therapy. Like I, my childhood wounding was really, you know, my, my mom really tried so hard to put me in this box. Um, I, I was essentially supposed to be everything that she couldn't be. That was the, the intuitive feeling that I always got. And, you know, I rebelled against that so, so hard. And, you know, the older I get, the more success I have, the more I feel this, this freedom to step into myself. But at the same time, there's this inner voice that says, don't get too big. Don't get too big because that hurts people. It hurts your parents. It hurts your family. It hurts, you know, everyone around you when you get too big. And I was talking with my husband last night about that, you know, that, that difference of really, truly, like I feel so loved and supported by him in a way that I never felt with my family, even though they loved and supported me. Mm -hmm. There was this catch that went along with it because I was, I was, they were only as good as the product that they put out, which was me. And that's a lot of pressure. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're sisters, even though I was an only child. Mm-hmm. Everything you just said is like, yeah. my mom wanted me to have girly, 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 girly stuff, like the mm, most yes. doilyed out, flouncy princess yes. bedroom set ever. And I was like, I want bunk beds and build a fort, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I wanted to be a boy until I was like eight. And I begrudgingly wore a dress mm-hmm. at eight and freaked everyone out at school. And <laughs> that just wasn't, you know, skate. I was a skateboarder and, a, you know, it just wasn't, that wasn't my thing. And even today uh, wearing a dress is like, well, maybe I wear one that's kind of a dress if I go to the beach on the rare occasion and it's like yeah. a moo. But other than that, that's just not my Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love to wear a dress, but it has to be black and have like buckles on it or something (laughs) like rock and roll, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a podcaster on the network um, by the name of Johnny Crowder and uh, he's a heavy metal singer. He's a lead singer for heavy metal. Oh, we need to collaborate. Oh, absolutely. He's covered in tattoos and he is the sweetest. uh, He's just the, his energy is like this elf, this positive elf. I don't even know wow. another way to describe it. And he also runs a tech company called Cope Notes, which I use. Everybody go to copenotes.com. It's freaking awesome. But, um, you know, he, he t- has talked about that with me too. You know, what he looks like with his, ha- sometimes his hair is like one side of it is pink and the other side mm-hmm. is orange. And then even if, when I go see him sing, we'll be sitting and having this sort of well, not even sort of this life expanding conversation mm-hmm. about love and all this stuff. And then he gets up on stage and goes, rah, rah, rah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. who is what? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's another thing around don't judge a book by its cover and just don't, mm-hmm. judge. don't judge. Like really not to judge at all, really. Well, I feel like it's impossible not to judge. And so what I try to, you know, tell my students and and clients and whatnot is that we have a choice of whether we buy into it or not, Uh you know, and actually I was, I was thinking about, I need to send Roxanne a message because she is real. She's really cultivated this ability to step out of judgment in such a profound way. And I am in awe of that because judgment is probably one of my biggest struggles. It really is. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it's, and it comes from, you know, the, the pressure that I put on myself first. I think if I were really able to relieve myself of that, I probably wouldn't be as judgmental of, of the world. Oh gosh. I, I wrestle with that too so badly. And I hear stuff that'll come out of my mouth and it just sounds like judgy, judgy, judgy. And then <laughs> I'm like, you just need to shut mm-hmm. up. And how we learn is many ways through what comes out of our mouth and the observation mm-hmm. of that. So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, Kristen, stop judging yourself and then yeah. you stop, you know, or at least be kinder in your judgments of others. It's just, a, it's amazing to be around people who are constantly reframing yeah. and loving, vulnerable um, I won't say always positive because I don't want yeah. people to think, oh, we're jumping on the positivity bandwagon, but right. there's, you know, there are good aspects of that, but just reframe, reframe, pivot to another way of mm-hmm. looking at it where there's no shame. Yeah. And, and it, that takes work. That is a full on rewiring of your neural pathways. Oh, full. Yes. Yep. And I am not completely there yet by any means. Yeah. Well, what made you, you know, what was the impetus for you wanting to get into this kind of work and have this be your career? Oh, my crazy family. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think I I always wanted to be a therapist. And I, you know, when I I was growing up, I thought I was going to be like a famous pop star. Like Madonna was my idol and Michael Jackson. That's who I looked up to when I was, you know, in first grade dancing around. And I always knew that I was supposed to like be in front of big groups of people. And I, I, my, my family are all musicians. And so my mom was a singer. So I became a singer and, and I just assumed, oh, that's what I'm good at. So that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I got a degree in music education and then ended up working in like arts management and, and was seeing a therapist at the time. And I was just, was so miserable. And I just really felt like I wasn't doing anything that, that meant anything. And my therapist was like, you know, it only, it's only two years to get your master's in social work and you don't even have to take the GRE. And I was like, girl, bye. And I like went up and signed up for a program right away. As soon as I found out how easy it was and I didn't need, you know, I thought I was going to have to get a whole nother bachelor's degree and, you know, get a doctorate and all these things. But um, it's just something that I always wanted. And once I figured out how to do it, you couldn't stop me. Right. Well, good. And did you know that, were you that person in school and your younger years that everybody went to with all their problems? You know, it wasn't, yes and no. I think I was so emotionally dysregulated um, for a lot of my life that, that I, ha- I had a lot of great friends who, you know, we would definitely lean on each other. Since, since I have really stepped into my own and and had a sense of grounding and I really credit my husband for that. He he truly is the first person who unconditionally loved me and from then I was able to be my true self and once I was able to kind of regulate my own system now it happens literally all the time like I'm at CVS and the person will start telling me their problems and they're like I have no idea why I'm telling you this and I'm like <laughs> I know why it's okay. <laughs> Go on. That'll be $150. Um <laughs> So it's a lot of it is is the more I am grounded, the more energy and availability I have to receive that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. 
how, what's your relationship or, or did you go through any kind of a, well, that's a ridiculous question. Did you go through any discomfort with your family? Obviously you did. But <laughs> was there, was there a, where are you at now? I'll say with them. How's that with what you do and, and how mm-hmm. you are and how you're not maybe what they, some of your family or all of them expected yeah. you to be? Well, my parents uh, died in 2014, uh, nine months apart. And that was really the opening of a spiritual awakening for me. And I think, you know, at the at the time, the way that I described it was, you know, the 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 song Space Odyssey, Ground Control to Major Tom, you know, that song right. terrified me as a child, this idea of literally like floating off into space with nothing to stop you. And that's the feeling that I had when when my parents died. But now I recognize that them being here actually was it it was stopping me from from going as far as i could go in this world and you know i i am very much into mediums and and afterlife and all that sort of thing so i've seen a lot of a lot of psychics and i feel like my dad has really done his work to to heal all of all of what he went through in this in this lifetime and has really shown up for me in the afterlife in a way that he never, ever, ever could have in, in his earthly body. And, you know, I, my dad was the one, he was obviously fucked up because he is a narcissist, probably a sex addict. You know, he was a lawyer and like the worst kind of lawyer. It just, you know, the stereotypical like shark, you know, taking advantage of people and, uh, so he was really easy to point at and say, you're the reason I'm fucked up. And so I went through most of my tw- my whole life to my 20s thinking, you know, it's all your fault that I'm screwed up. And it it really wasn't until I went to grad school where I understood more about codependency and the alcoholic family system and how my how my mom played a real role in this. And truly, you know, it's probably only been now 12 years that I've I've been holding that and recognizing how much she hurt me. And, and I, right now I, I'm in the midst of really trying to work through a lot of that anger and grief over, you know, her showing up in a way that was, was so detrimental to my mental health. I think it's interesting. You had told me before we started that, you know, this, you just happen to have workers show up, right. As we're, <laughs> As you, everything's all systems clear with no noise. You start talking about your mom and then we hear, boom, boom. This is telling. Yeah. (laughs) And, and and this, this happens. Yeah. And all the feedback that I get from psychics is that she doesn't want to revisit this life. And so I imagine that that's, you know, that's her, her, you know, trying to say, no, this is not what's happening. And this is not the truth. And like, that's just such a representation of what happened throughout my life with her. Again, sisters. Um, yeah, same, mm-hmm. same here. My, my, I haven't seen my father, my biological father and oh my God, I don't know since I was 12, 12 or 14. Mm. Um, so no, no contact with him, but just had a reconnection with, with my mom. And, um, but you know, I needed, couple years of no connection mm-hmm. to work on a lot of stuff. And also, yeah. it was, I think people need to understand too, when sometimes you, you leave your family of origin and you never speak to them again, and that yeah. is okay. Yes. There's no shame in that. 
and the right. shame that people put on that. I mean, I've had people go, oh, how could you do that? Right. Uh, you know, da, 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 all this stuff. I, I would never do that. I love my mother. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, mm-hmm. I love my mother too. And right. um, that's your judgment about you. You can erase it from having this yes. in part of the conversation with me. But the reconnection piece, I needed though I needed to be away enough to be able to come back to it mm. and not go back into those codependent tendencies, mm-hmm. not go back into the fact that, you know, as a therapist that saw both of us said, you're dealing with someone who has absolutely no boundaries whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. That was, themselves. that was my mom. Yeah. Yes. Prize yes. themselves on that. Right. Like, yep. And I know how unhealthy that is. And so I had to learn mm-hmm. how to have those boundaries and stick with them before I could come back to the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually had a a family member tell me once that, you know, if you were drowning in a pool, even though I I can't swim, I would jump in to save you. And I was like, that's fucked up. That's not right. (laughs) But that was, that was the mantra of my family. And, you know, when my mom was, when she was, she died of breast cancer and and she was getting sicker and, and more weak. And she's like, well, I remember when my dad was dying and, you know, he would refuse, you know, care from the nurses and he would get up and he'd walk around. And I was just so proud about how strong he was. And I was like, mom, that sounds fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> and I, I, like, I didn't, she, she was so far into codependency that there was absolutely no way for us to communicate the same language. We, you know, we went to, we did therapy together and I, I, we lived in separate places. So I I found a therapist who would do therapy over the internet in her hometown so that she wouldn't feel like, oh, this, you know, big city, your big city therapist hates me, whatever. And (laughs) my therapist at the time said, one of two things are going to happen. Either the therapist is going to fall for your mom's tricks and you're going to be an asshole or the therapist is going to see your mom clearly try to hold her accountable and you're going to be the asshole. So either and, way. Right. Like- right. Either way. And, and that's what happened. You know, she, the therapist really saw and really tried to support boundaries and having my mom like understand where it was coming from. And my mom just couldn't, couldn't do it. But that gave me space to recognize like, okay, I literally have done everything I can to try to make this relationship work. And I can't communicate on the level that, that we just can't communicate on the same level anymore. And I was able to get a little bit of, of distance. And, and, and then I think, you know, not, not punish myself for the way that I showed up in her, her final year of life. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, the not punishing yourself is, it was so freeing for me to go through several birthdays and holidays without feeling any guilt whatsoever mm-hmm. about not calling, not being yeah. there. And, and then now to be back in and go, I'm still, I still don't feel guilty if I don't yeah. participate and I'm not going to, and some things, mm-hmm. um, maybe all things, I don't know, but the, the lack of, of, just oh my god generational guilt yes I, you're able when you pull away from it whether it's because someone has mm-hmm. passed away or you disconnect and they're still alive it doesn't matter the disconnection whatever happens really does allow you to kind of get this 
360 degree view of the generations of bullshit that you've inherited. Right. In your journey. Right. And I, I believe that for my family, it's, it's my job to heal the lineage. You know, we've, my husband and I have decided not to have children partially because both of our histories of addiction and mental illness in our family. And it, it's, it stops here and I'm, I'm transforming that. And I am 100% sure that I am, I'm healing the wounds of my mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother, and, and all who came before. That's, that's one of my goals in this lifetime. That's, that's what I look at too, uh, without, Mm -hmm. without, and, and I say this without doing this because it would be so easy. And I have done this in my own way, worn the cross of the great martyr. (laughs) Oh, that was my mother for sure. And so I learned it really well. Me too. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And I, I actually, I've been doing a lot of work on that really over the past year and what I recognized that the martyr position is a really great way to opt out of doing the work. Oh God. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cause, and, and, and I learned that too, cause my dad was really verbally aggressive. And so, you know, if I was like this small little weak thing, like, Oh, I'm already, I'm too small. Don't hurt me. <laughs> and then I wouldn't get attacked further. So it comes from, you know, learning it from my mother and then also survival. Oh God. Yes, absolutely. Those things that you have to, I mean, we're such amazing beings that Mm -hmm. we show up with no skill whatsoever. And we just show up to protect ourselves in these abusive environments. And then we carry that into adulthood and see, well, that really doesn't work when you're an adult. (laughs) Right. Glad it kept you alive as a kid. And now it's starving you from growth. As an adult, yeah, it's, it's right. It's fascinating to lay down those those things, and to, and also I think to get to a place where you can look at the ways that you are behaving, like one or both mm-hmm. of your parents, and not go, oh, that's awful. Just go, right? Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and letting it go, because I think part mm-hmm. of the issue with with my mom was she wanted to be the opposite of her mom. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, for me, it flip-flopped generations. It went from codependency to like what I, what I would have called narcissism previously, but now yeah. it's like, you know, complete, you know, immersion into codependency and then, you know, more rebellious. And so I, I definitely connected more with my grandma because I felt like oh my she God. and I you had talking that. about my life, girl. That is this anyway. I'm sorry. There, I knew there was a reason we were supposed up to meet. Back of my neck. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I totally connected with my grandma while I also saw how she tortured my mother. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yep. How did you handle that? And what age did you start to, okay, let me preface, let me frame sure. it this way. What age did you notice the torture and, and did your mom ever kind of tell you, this is what she does to me? So I, I didn't notice the torture until probably after my grandma died. And that was that was 2005, I think. But my mom would always tell me, you know, your grandmother would always compare us and I would always lose. And so I'm not going to compare you and me, but she would always compare herself to me and I would always win. So, so 
in her comparison with her mother, she always lost. And then her comparison with me, she always lost, Ah. which also put me in this really fucked up position of knowing that, again, just because I'm being my full true self, I am hurting my mother. Um, But then it was after, it was after my grandma died and, and in going through her stuff, my mom found a bunch of letters that um, when my grandpa was in world war two and was writing my grandma and, and my grandma was writing him. And I think, I think she had said something about, you know, it's not my dream to have children, but if that's what you want, I'll do it for you. And I think that really helped me understand if, if that's really how my grandma felt, then no wonder my mother intuited this not good enough feeling. And, and so then I think I really, I could, because two, I also, I think just would always straight go to like blaming my mom for playing the martyr. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have enough compassion. Um, so, and now with her gone, there's much, there's a lot more space for compassion. Isn't that amazing how that room, you give yourself Mm -hmm. that room, whether it's through, like I said, through passing on of someone Mm -hmm. or just not communicating for enough time. Yeah. Yeah. I witnessed, I saw the torture, but I was given a clue. I was definitely told about it. So I was, you know, I was aware of it. And then I, and then I really started to notice it. And then grandma would do some of those same Mm. things to me Mm -hmm. um, because she did them to everyone. But Mm. I was, I wasn't the kid that she was doing this to as right. my mother. So I was able to look at it and go, grandma, you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which mm. my mother stoked those fires. She stoked right. oh, yeah. the one that would call yeah. people out and do this and do that because she didn't do it herself. Oh and yeah. So, and so it was like, I, I got to the place of, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that for you. You need to do yeah. that for you. I got enough of my own shit to be, to, you know, deal with. I do not need to also take on your stuff. And, you know, because then I'm always, like you said, I'm always the victor to your victim. Right. There is this mean person. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm not playing that anymore. If I'm going to be mean, I'm going to be mean about myself. Yeah. And that dynamic really played out actually between me and my dad, because Mm -hmm. my parents got divorced when I was, I think eight, maybe, Mm -hmm. and some, somewhere around there. And, you know, my, my dad years later would be like, your mother subjected me to parental alienation syndrome. And, right. um, and it's true. It's true now that I think about it because she was so she was so good at playing the martyr. And so, of course, we wanted to rescue her and blame him. Right. And, and I really acted out. And, and I, I mean, I was angry at him, too, because he was a dick, let's be honest. And he would, <laughs> you know, and he, he has more than apologized for it now that he's passed on. But um you know, I really, really raged against him in my teenage years. And I know that, I know that it wouldn't have been quite that dramatic if it wasn't fueled by my mom, you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes. Oh yeah, absolutely. That fuel. And Mm -hmm. God knows what I did with, you know, my, my only child, our son, all I can say is, yeah, I did fuel some of those things, but Mm -hmm. both my ex-husband and I, um, came from, divorced parents who hated each other, absolutely Mm. hated each other, did not remain friends, you know, and we did, we did the opposite. We are, I mean, he just called me three times while we're doing this podcast. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, we, our son has that thing of, yeah, mom and dad got divorced and they don't live together. And, but 
we're this loving family and he's got both of us and that comes mm-hmm. with its own messed upness. I'm not saying we deserve any kind of a right. savior badge for that, but but it is different. It's different in our in both yeah. of our family histories and that's that's a good thing. Yes. And that's I think that's all we can do is try to try to do better. Right, exactly. Well, just so um, my listeners know about your show, when did you start it and what, you know, what can they expect? I know that they'll expect the unexpected, but what <laughs> kind of what's the theme of, of your podcast? Sure. I started it in March of, that must have been 2018 because it'll be two years this March. And, uh, you know, it came out of, I had done an interview on another podcast called The Creative Imposter. And, you know, I talked a lot about authenticity and shame and, you know, how I navigate that professionally and and personally. And, um, And the feedback that I got from from other therapists was wow you you know you talk about such you know professional or such vulnerable things in such a professional way that's really unique and i was like no it's not um my friends and i talk like this all the time <laughs> and it made me kind of sad actually it's kind of like when people will come up to me and be like oh your hair I, you're so brave i could never do that it just <laughs> makes me feel sad because right. why can't you fucking do that, right? right? Why can't we be having these conversations? And so I guess I, I wanted to show people that, that there are a lot of us out there being vulnerable and and sharing that in a way that, you know, we're not just spilling our guts all over the place. So that's that's what it was born out of. And I guess what folks can expect is, you know, I, I try to find guests who have really done a lot of their own healing work and who are very... Um, very aware of their their light and their shadow side, and we just talk about that. We talk about you know how did you how did you get here, and what are some of the the things along the way that were barriers and setbacks, and you know the the questions I always ask are are you what how do you feel about the term wounded you know and how do you feel about the term healer you know are you a healer are you a wounded healer what does that mean and largely what we often come to is that we, every one of us is wounded. And if we step into a profession, a healing type profession, we are a healer, whether we want want to call ourselves that or not. And we have a choice to either act from our wounds, which means we are going to be bleeding on the people that we're supposed to be helping, or we use our wounds as information and recognizing, like touching into that, that depth of, of pain in order to then help somebody heal. Mm, absolutely. I, when I was, you know, going to send out a, an email to everybody welcoming you to the network, which you probably already got, but I had put shamanism because that's what a mm. shaman, the word shaman means. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Healer. And then I went, no, that's not really what she's, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't say that in anywhere. So I'm going to take right. that out and just put wounded healer. And it did make me, make me think of that as well, which I have thought before. Yeah. Anybody that gets into this field. Mm-hmm most of the reason why you get into it is because you are wounded. <laughs> right. And, and you know, if people don't admit that, then I'm terrified. <laughs> right. Because that means that you're not doing your work. You're not taking a look at it. And I meet those therapists all the time. And, you know, here comes this judgment piece. But I've started to feel really protective about who gets to hold people like who gets to hold the vulnerable people in our, in our society. And I think a lot of folks 
I don't I don't know why I don't know if it's if it's an ego thing or if it's a, a desire to you know if I have power over then I have power over my own past yeah. or whatever it is but I don't I think there's just so much fear in doing your own work and and I'm really you know instead of chastising people for not doing their work I'm really trying to call in and encourage you know if if there's a therapist out there who's been afraid of really stepping into that that healing journey we can't opt out because then we're just hurting people. And, and I'm, I'm very, very serious about that. Yeah. It, it's funny because some of, well, there's one of, uh, one of our other podcasters will talk about this on many shows with me, Dr. Lisa Day. She'll say, you know, this is what's going on with me. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is what's going on with my daughter. She has bipolar disorder. She's been mm-hmm. suicidal. We're, you know, trying different hospitals. And she's talked about this on shows very open about it. And Mm -hmm. she has, that is what she's dealing with. And I think that's more of a direction that I think is healthier to to be in as a therapist. It's not, I mean, and I've been in therapy a long time and I'm going to be 50. So we're talking back 1980s. Mm -hmm. You therapists did not talk about their own stuff. It was very clipboard mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. separation of church and state, so yeah. to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the addiction world is what's. It used to be there was the addiction world, and then there was the mm-hmm. patient mental health world, and those yep. two had nothing together. And when I started in yeah. the business of mental health, I noticed that a lot. And now I'm seeing that that line is getting crossed all the time. And the, in the addiction world, you do talk about your stuff because otherwise yes. anyone that comes in and sits to speak with you is going to mm-hmm. be like, you haven't right. been an <laughs> addict, then what the hell am I sitting and listening to you for? Right. I, I think it's a good thing that those two have, there's not a, a line like there used to be that separates those two worlds. Well, there's, there is no separation. And I I think it's, it's completely idiotic that that ever happened in the first place. And, you know, in Illinois, it's so, it's so bifurcated the, the two, you know, I, I tried to do intensive outpatient for a little while and, and the regulations and the structure of the system is so outdated that it's really, really hard to do good work unless you like have millions of dollars behind you. Right. (laughs) So it's, it's just so, it's so incredible. And, you know, as far as training goes, you know, we're still, we're still trained to be very cautious about self-disclosure. And, and I think, I think rightly so. Cause you know, of course, yeah. I've been doing this for 10 years now and not that I'm a super pro, but 10 years is a significant amount of time to try, you know, what works and what doesn't. And so I, I try to, I try to share with my students that like, you know, evidence-based practice is really important to learn and it's really important to understand what works in it. And it's really important to understand what doesn't work in it. And, you know, self-disclosure is just not something that you can, you know, fit in a cute little box or a manual. (laughs) And so that's part of the reason I think that, that we're trained to not use it as often. Right. But like you said, I mean, I've, I've only worked in addiction. That's, that's been my main, my main thing. And so I learned really early on how to, how to touch into my darkness to relate to somebody else. And, and because I'm not an addict in recovery, that's the only way I could relate to my clients is, is by saying, look, I don't know what it's like to to have a substance run my life, but I can tell you I know exactly what it's like to do something over and over Mm -hmm. despite negative consequences. I know that pain very well. Absolutely. 
Well, I will say this. I am so glad that Aaron Huey, of course, yes! of course the two of you resonated with each other. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad that he introduced you to us and Me um, too. tell our listeners where they can find more about you. Yeah, my, my website is probably the best place. It's www.headhearttherapy.com. And if you hit slash podcast, you'll find all the podcast information as well as, you know, any, any of the podcast apps, pretty much you can find conversations with a wounded healer. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and being a part of the network. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you listeners for tuning into another episode of mental health news radio. Without good intentions, I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.